Hi, this is Beige with Public. Why has the left become so authoritarian? Why did it abandon free speech and demand censorship, or become a flack for state and corporatist power and abandon the working class? Why do progressives insist addicts be left to suffer and die on the streets, or that women's sex-based rights, hard won and still incomplete, be demolished? There is much done in the name of compassion these days that little resembles it. How did leftists miss the ascent of authoritarianism during the COVID crisis, ignoring blatant propaganda and failing to apply the same skepticism they so value in their selective disdain of systemic power? Today, our guest, Canadian psychologist Christine Brophy, has some interesting answers. Back in 2015, Christine set out to investigate the personality of political correctness. We can call it wokeness. Does it hold together? Can it be measured? It can. And what she found laid the groundwork for future psychological research on personality traits and political ideologies, including left-wing authoritarianism. In particular, Christine's take on altruistic narcissism helps us understand how things can go so wrong. Compassion, it turns out, has a dark side, a point at which it becomes something else entirely. Locating where and how that happens seems key to understanding what we're living through. I would love it if we could start with you giving our audience a little bit of background about yourself, maybe where and how you grew up, why you decided to study psychology, and how specifically you be, you came to be interested in this topic. I love it. Um, it's so interesting. I'm, I've never been asked about where and how I grew up. That's, that's a new dimension to this. Um, I grew up in Waterloo. Uh, that's about an hour or so outside of Toronto uh, in Canada. And um, I grew up with uh, two parents that were incredibly hardworking. My mom is from Lebanon, uh, and she came over at a young age. And uh, my dad was born in Canada. But uh, he's an engineer, and my mom was into computer science, and they were both incredibly hard workers, and they put us in just about every single sport imaginable, uh, anything that we uh, wanted to do to compete or anything like that, they, they would throw us into it. So um, it was good, good, good upbringing. Um, and I guess I, around my teenage years, uh, just kind of my transfer from high school into um, into university, I was uh, really competitive in basketball. And I was also a very high achieving student. And I, um, I got sick during that time for about two years where I was out of school for a long while. And uh, I also ended up uh, tearing my ACL a couple times and uh, rupturing my Achilles when I was uh, playing basketball. Uh, so I I, I, a lot of my, my scholarships, academic and athletic wise, and the places that I was being recruited to were, were threatened. And during that time, I also uh, wound up in a relationship with uh, somebody who was uh, a legitimate psychopath, not the kind that you just say that, <laughs> wow. not the kind that you just say that it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my boyfriend was a total psychopath. My ex was like crazy. It's like, no, there was the kind of damage uh, and situations that I wound up with him uh, in that uh, the kind of pain that he inflicted and the things that he did out of callousness and intentional maliciousness were, it was a true, a true psychopath. So I, it took me a while to recover from that. Mm. Um, and in my second year of university, I took a class with Dr. Peterson. Uh, it was his personality class, I believe. And his approach to uh, psychology 
that he wasn't just talking about the history and talking about terminology and talking about biases just as like these interesting facts, but rather he was connecting them in a way to uh, the individual's story and the way how you live in the world and the decisions that you make, uh, that it there was things that he said that resonated with me that helped sort of, um, was one of the pieces that kind of helped me pick myself up out of uh, the muck, I guess, that had happened with with the past. and. Mm that definitely caused psychology to stick with me. Um, and that ended up being what I pursued. Uh, after that, I ended up working with uh, Dr. Peterson for, for over a decade, uh, oh. working with teenagers on uh, a goal-setting future authoring program over in Europe, as well as in North America, um, and helping them you know, use tools like narrative writing and goal-setting to help them make decisions and determine their path in the world. Uh, but along this time, I also became his graduate student and um, I started my research on um, political correctness and political belief, mm-hmm. which seems like a bit of a tangent. Um, and it's interesting in our discussion before you were wondering about the context of it, that perhaps I was being affected in the universities by political correctness. Um, I wish I could say that that was that that I was doing this out of some uh, morally virtuous place where I was really standing for something at the time. Um, I believe that Dr. Peterson, the administration, and um, certain regulations that were being uh, enforced for his clinical practice and things like that was making it very salient for him. Uh, for me, it ended up just being a kind of curiosity where uh, mm-hmm. when I at the time when I heard about. Um, individuals identifying as being animals and things like that. I was like, wait a second, what? Like that doesn't, that doesn't mm-hmm. seem real. Um, so that's where it came from. But as I got into the research and as the results started to come about, um, it became relevant to me in a way that was completely different. Uh, and it was the, the way in which these uh, sort of regimes come about that cause such damage where you see like authoritarian dictatorial regimes um, that are governed by or that are led by uh, psychopaths or narcissists um, that are at their core that really drive them, that take human instincts and then warp them in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you look at the percentages of the population, that it's only a couple percent that actually have these pathological traits. So it's not them in and of themselves that are creating these problems, that there's something else that's going on here. There's people surrounding them that are somehow getting locked into this mechanism and it's causing such severe um, problems in the world. And that, that, that was something that I personally experienced in my relationship. And that led to like mental sort of warping for a few years. Um, So I wanted to understand more about that to not just frame it as this person's a victim um, of, of a psychopath because that's not helpful because how do you, that, that, that it's not just the case that they've fallen into their trap. There's something else that's going on there. So anyway, that's, that's my long-winded background. <laughs> no, that's all very interesting. Um, well, it seems like your work, the departure point in, in part is this premise that left-wing authoritarianism has been, as you say, difficult to conceptualize as a psychological construct. There's plenty of literature on the psychopathy of conservatism and right-wing authoritarianism, but historically less so for liberal and left-wing equivalents. Uh, So I I guess I'd want to ask, why is that? And how has that shaped how researchers have approached the topic? 
Absolutely. How does yeah. it shape the research field? Yeah. Um, so uh, just because of the nature of, um, of research and the types of individuals that are attracted to that kind of uh, complexity, that uh, the attraction to playing around with ideas, um, to playing with discourse, that type of thing, that that is a trait of um, openness in personality psychology. We call it openness. That That's one of the five factors. And uh, because that's what the nature of research is, that means that individuals that find that naturally, uh, that that comes naturally to them, they're more likely to gravitate towards research and towards, um, you know, looking at these types of dynamics out in the world. But the things that... Um, they would then be interested in understanding in the same way that I was curious about uh, people that identify as animals. And I was like, wait a second, what, what's going on there? Um, <laughs> they're doing the same thing with conservatives where they see the way that conservatives are acting and they're like, hold on, what are you, why are you framing it that way? You can't honestly believe that. Um, so they just are attending to that information with a high level of detail and analyzing it and trying to understand it. And, but the part of the problem also comes where when we're trying to understand things that aren't like us, we tend to attribute our own motivations and conceptual frame onto those actions. So one of the funniest ones that I always uh, find is their attribution of dominance um, on the on the right. So there's uh, there's one of the factors of political belief and right wing belief uh, that a colleague of mine discovered, and that's something like masculine independence is what she labeled that factor. Mm. And the greatest extension of that is social dominance orientation. So in its pathological form, it becomes social dominance orientation. But this kind of desire for competition, um, a use of the environment as tools in order to gain strength. Um, that, that kind of motivation, um, and that, yeah, that competitive sort of fire that comes that that is, uh, a, a, a piece of, um, conservatism, but liberals will interpret all behavior that is uh, on that dimension as being, um, based out of fear that other people will be taking over their spot of power that it is like a fear-based motivation, a defensive sort of uh, motivation of their territory when it's like, nah, I just find it real fun to like be better than you. Like I want <laughs> you to be strong. Like, are you kidding? So, so it's just, that's what happens when we try, if we don't possess that same sort of internal motivation, we'll interpret other actions um, from our own motivational frame. And all of these like contributing factors, the fact that they hyper attend to the one side because it's different than them, and then they try to attribute their own understanding onto it, it just led to a, a strong bias uh, mm -hmm. in, in the research. And then once you get that bias, people start assuming that um, that the other side doesn't exist or like that you are right and that the other. So if you see bad on the one side, you're like, well, because we haven't found bad on the other side, then it must not exist and that it's only on this side. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we were saying before, it just seems like this work was very prescient because it was in 2015 that you completed your thesis. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And that's well before, you know, the catastrophe of the last several years and this idea that now seems so salient that, that, left-wing authoritarianism can indeed exist in, you know, contemporary America. So anyway, um, why don't we get into 
into the work itself, into your research, if you could tell us about your hypothesis and then about how you conducted the research and maybe, you know, for those of us who are not familiar, why you did it that way, why this is how you measure these, these concepts and um, why that approach is the right one. Okay. Make sure to wrangle me if I have forgotten one of those pieces. Sure. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, so, so the first part was how I constructed um, the hypothesis or what it was and why it was gone about that way. Um, yeah, why, the, why you approached the research in the way that you did. So the mm -hmm. hypothesis, the, the research, and then the results, I guess. Yeah, okay. So um, research up until the point um, when I did my study, it, there was bits and pieces that were on political correctness. Um, mm -hmm. But for the most part, the research just assumed that it existed. They weren't analyzing um, what exactly made it up, uh, if, it was, if it was even something that hung together, um, mm -hmm. if the ideas, the policies that people supported, the things that were popularly said that were lumped together as being political correctness, that, that right-wing believers would be like, oh, you're just being politically correct, or that, um, that, that were so important in popular belief, it was never... Um, analyzed whether those things hung together. And what I mean by that is that people who would support one piece of those things, who would say that, um, you know, using, say, using the words like human as opposed to gendered stuff, or not even human, it would be because that contains the word man in it, that, that, that like people who care about that kind of language, that they would also care about things like um, affirmative action uh, or... Um, yeah, policies about uh, sexual um, abuse or sexual harassment, um, things like that. So that you want to see that support for all the issues that people who support them tend to support all of them together, and it, that they're not just supported by different people for different reasons. So, so you like, see is PC a thing? What is it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So research before that hadn't come from that position. It was just saying, well, PC is this one set of pol like these few policies that I've decided are important. And now I'm going to measure the effects of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we wanted to see if it even exists, if it's just something that uh, right wing people are using to completely discredit all policies of the left to just lump um, policies that they're suggesting that are for the environment or for um, equality or little things that they're doing, that we're just lumping them all underneath the umbrella of communism and saying that this is communist behavior, it's evil, therefore we don't need to listen to any of it. We're just moving on with what we're doing. Um, we wanted to see if it was just that or also um, on the other side, them saying that the left-wing um, people who, who have more left-wing beliefs saying that this is something that's all coming from good intent that mm -hmm. every single action, all the policies that we're suggesting, it's all based on good intent. It's all based on leveling the playing field, uh, not harming these uh, historically disadvantaged groups, that this is all good. Um, yeah. So we wanted to figure out what it was if it existed. So based on that, um, the the way how we went about it is that we sampled, we, we took a look at all the literature, newspapers, different um, reviews, historical uh, texts about the history of political correctness coming all the way from the 1890s in Russia and how it traveled to China into the movements, um, into the universities against Vietnam, 
uh, the women's movement, and then finally onto university campuses and general sort of identity politics. We looked into all of that. We pulled the policies, the things that they cared about, the words that they were playing around with, uh, and created, I think it was like a 250 or 300 item questionnaire. It was enormous. Um, I really mm-hmm. feel sorry for people who had to do it. <laughs> um, but it, it, in, it included an entire range of things, um, all the different, uh, the different pieces that, uh, that biological differences, uh, whether that was a, an example of, uh, of systemic racism or uh, issues like that. Um, yes, affirmative action. Uh, in a later version, we were looking at things like safe spaces, uh, trigger warnings, all those, those popular sort of terms. And we wanted, and then we also tested uh, personality, intelligence, and disgust sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I need to, if you'd like me to extrapolate on that stuff, but maybe, um, maybe further along, we could do that when we start to look at the results and, and what you found. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so we looked at all that. What we wanted to see first is if there, if it hung together and I already explained that, um, to do that, you do something that's called factor analysis, exploratory factor analysis. And basically you're trying to see, first of all, if they, if all the items, um, hang together in some meaningful way. And then mm-hmm. after that, you're trying to see if they have different pieces to them, uh, that are kind of, uh, varying. If those people that are responding to certain items tend to respond to a clump of them more in the same way, and that there's another clump of things that are being responded to in a slightly different way, but, but those are hanging together. And then that's how you kind of get, um, factors out of it. Uh, so by if things hung together, that meant that it existed in some kind of way. It's sort of like if you were to think about um, atoms out in the universe, and if they're just kind of floating around randomly, then you Mm -hmm. don't really have an object. But then if they're sticking together in some meaningful way that is persisting across time and space, then you have like a chair or or some other object. So that's kind of what we felt or what it means when they hang together and it being real, that it was an object or it's something that's kind of real uh, in the social space. You've reached the end of this episode of the free version of Public's podcast. To access the full version, become a paying subscriber at public.substack.com.